0: Hey, what we're going to do is we're going to spend a few weeks talking about this concept that God is our Heavenly Father. And that concept is bigger, broader, and far more important than we tend to give it credit. It's a really important thing that I want us to spend a few weeks on talking about because, quite frankly, a lot of us have been experiencing weirdness, should we say, to at the very least Weirdness in this world. None of us in my and you know in my lifetime I've never experienced this. Experienced this. My guess is that you've never experienced a time when you felt like um, the whole world was out to get all of us, like there's a virus that's going around, and there are protests that are happening, and there's rioting going on, and there's uh, in- incredible civil injustice that's happening, and all sorts of things are going on. And to top it all off, we're even in an election year, and election years are always weird. And so maybe, you know what, we should just say 2020, every single day in the entire year is just a day of the full moon, because when I worked at restaurants, they always told me that the people who came into the restaurant were worse on full moon days. I don't no, the point is we're all going through weirdness, and sometimes we need to get ourselves back to sort of a childlike attitude. The series that we went through just before this was a series I called, uh, I Want to Go Back, and the symbol was a little stuffed bunny rabbit. And so I want to tell you a little bit of a story about my own experience in, as a child with stuffed animals and whatnot in just a little bit, but let me invite you to pray with me and let's ask for God to guide our time in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the ability to open up your word and to study it. Thank you for giving us the ability to use this technological means to gather together, even though we're not physically present with each other. And I pray that you would just move in our midst today. Would you guide us today? Would you help us to understand your will for our lives? And I pray that you would speak through me, that you would guard the words that I speak and the thoughts in our hearts and you would shape what happens here today to bring you honor and glory. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before I really get rolling today, would you mind going into the chat of the YouTube or Facebook, whatever you're on right now, and let us know that you're here? If you're using Facebook, I would love it if you would tap the little thing that allows you to post a photo and take a quick selfie of yourself and your family, whoever's watching, and put it there into the Facebook thing. Or if you're watching on YouTube, take a selfie and add it to our LCC general discussion. I wanna see your smiling faces. I think it's good for us to sort of be a little bit of a family together visually. And so take some photos like that. And while you're doing that, you can also interact with a discussion question that we have. It's just basically this. What's a skill that you've learned during this coronavirus quarantine time? So while you guys are doing that, I'm going to help you get into the concept of my message by telling you a little bit of a story. Now, if you have your app on your phone, you can download, if you don't have our app, you can download our church app on your phone, and whatever notes show up on the lower third on your screen there will also be in your device. You can take your own notes and stuff like that. But I wanted to start with a little bit of a story. Um, You see, I've said this before, but I don't know if I've really gotten into it before, I have a hard time throwing things away. Currently, I'm in the process of cleaning my office. And when I say I'm in the process of cleaning my office, what I mean is, for the past three months, all of the stuff that was in my office has been in my living room because The only way I know how to clean things is to get everything out of one area to another area and then bring everything from that other area back into the area where it started. And in the process, theoretically, I'm going to throw some things away. But I have a very difficult time throwing things away, and I fully blame my father. I blame my dad for this. Because, you see, my dad is incredibly skilled at bringing life to inanimate objects. And I was raised in an environment where pretty much everything that had two dots that could be eyeballs was a thing that had eyeballs and a soul and a spirit and a name and an attitude and a voice. And so my growing up time, I mean, every time we were in a store, my dad would walk past the stuffed animals. He'd pick one up and all of a sudden the stuffed animal was alive. And now it was talking to me and my sister. And it was like, okay, great. Now what do we do? Do we put the animal back on the shelf? That's like rejecting a friend. That's like rejecting someone that we have just fallen in love with. I mean, how terrible is that? So our family acquired many stuffed animals, many stuffed animals, because once you've made a relationship with something, it's hard to, you know, get rid of it. We never named our vehicles, um, like, human names, but we gave them code words, like there was the stealth, there was the red car, there was... The Toyota, it never got anything more than just the word Toyota. That's all we ever called it. But we named our cars that kind of thing, and they all had personalities. And so every inanimate object, I was living the Toy Story world before the Toy Story movie came out. But one of the most mm, favorite family traditions that we had with my dad and his ability to make seemingly unimportant things turn into lifelike objects was something we called the chipmunk stories. Now, the chipmunk stories were the stories that my sister and I would ask my dad to tell us late at night. Instead of bedtime stories, we would ask for chipmunk stories. But there was a a specific time when we got the chipmunk stories. We got the chipmunk stories when we were camping we got the chipmunk stories when we were in some sleazy motel that had no television and we had, some, we had to find some form of entertainment and we would get the chipmunk stories when there was a storm outside or when the fires in California were raging and threatening our house. That's the time we would get the chipmunk stories. Whenever we were like scared and stuff, then my dad would tell a chipmunk story. Now you need to know that a chipmunk story is basically um, Goonies. I mean, that's basically the plot line. And my dad told the story before Goonies came out, if you've ever seen that movie. We were living it. I mean, so when Goonies finally came out, it was like my sister and I, we've been living this story our whole lives. But the thing you need to know is that despite all the pirates and despite all the espionage and despite all the other stuff that was going on in the chipmunk stories, the heroes were the chipmunks. One of them was named Jody and the other one was named Jeff. And these heroes of these chipmunk stories were absolutely riveting to my sister and I. My sister, whose name happens to be Jody, uh, really loved the Jody character in the chipmunk stories. And I was a little bit more partial to the Jeff chipmunk, but you know, that's neither here nor there. My dad would develop these elaborate chipmunk stories. But the fascinating thing is, no matter how dark the night was outside, no matter how loud the lightning and thunder were, no matter how scary the experience was, no matter how the camping experience wasn't very comfortable, no matter what was going on in our lives. In a chipmunk story, we were okay because my sister and I, we were in it together and dad's in control the whole time. He would tell the story And the chipmunks would always be in the threat of their lives. They would always be in some sort of terrible experience. But he could do. Now, what I find fascinating is that in this world today, I sometimes get myself all nervous. I sometimes get myself all scared. I sometimes get myself all worried. The storm clouds are going around me. The the. Day outside has turned to night and it seems overly dark. I can get myself worried and frustrated with all the things that are going wrong in this world, but nothing's changed from the chipmunk story. Nothing's changed. I'm still in this with my brothers and sisters, and my dad is still in control of the story. What I want to do with you over these next few weeks is I want to help you grasp something that I find to be incredibly important when it comes to the Christian life. I want to help you grasp this idea that three little words can change your entire approach towards what it means to live in this world. Three little words, and these three little words I'm going to take you to, uh, first of all, Matthew chapter 6. See what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 6. I'm putting up on the screen. It'll be on your screen as well. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Most of you know this. This is famously known as the Lord's Prayer. It's the opening line to the Lord's Prayer. What's interesting about the Lord's Prayer is that we frequently memorize it. And because we frequently memorize it, you usually use the first line as just simply the rhythm builder to get you into the rest of it. Our Father, and maybe you memorize this in the King James: "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on." And you're in the rhythm, and you're just going, you know. And so that first line is the thing that helps you get your momentum going. The problem is that first line contains everything. That first line, Jesus says, "This is how I want you to pray: Our Father in heaven." That is so incredibly powerful. Because you have to know something about your father. Your real and true father is the one in heaven. And he's not just my father, he's our father. Again, Jesus says, I am supposed to pray as an individual person, and the first thing I say in my prayer is not me. The first thing I say in my prayer is not God. The first thing I say in my prayer is our There's something about what Jesus is saying here that has powerful implications for us. But then the Apostle Paul will take this concept of God being our Father and he will combine it with his awareness that God has taken his own Holy Spirit and placed his Spirit inside the heart of every believer. And so Paul then goes one step farther. And Paul doesn't just call God our father. Paul says he's a specific kind of father. Take a look at this next passage from Romans. It says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, if you've been in church for a significant portion of your life, you probably know that the word Abba was the Aramaic word for father, but it was also that easiest word that any baby in any language in any culture has ever pronounced abba is the easiest word for any baby to ever pronounce and as a result it's a lot more of an intimate childish like word for father similar to daddy or dad see what paul is saying is he saying because you have the holy spirit of god in you Your relationship with God isn't just one of a father who's distant, but it's one of a dad who's close. Three central words for believers are these. Our heavenly dad. We're going to spend a few weeks just sort of resting on these three words. Resting on the significance of these three words. To call God my dad is a really... Threatening thing to do. On the one hand, I don't feel worth it. On the other hand, I feel like he's worth far more. I could call God governor, general. I could call God captain. I could call God lord. I could call him sovereign. I could call him king. And I could probably even call him father, but dad is weird. Dad seems too close. And yet, the Apostle Paul would say that's the kind of relationship we actually have with our heavenly father. He is like dad. He's close. He's personal. But heavenly. You know the fascinating thing about God? If he's my dad and he's heavenly, that means my dad can beat up your dad. Unless your dad, of course, is the same as my dad, in which case our dad wouldn't beat up, my dad wouldn't beat up your dad because he's the same person. But if you have any other dad, if you have any dad other than my dad, I'm pretty convinced that my dad can beat up your dad. I'm pretty convinced that because my dad is the heavenly dad, there's no earthly thing that can ever stand in his way. There's no earthly thing that can ever bother him. And so if my dad is the heavenly dad, then my dad's got it all taken care of, and I've got nothing to worry about. And then like I already said, he's not just my dad. He's our dad. There's something intrinsically relational, familial, and communal about Our Heavenly Father. And so, what I want to do is, I want to take you over these next few weeks, with Pastor Reggie's help, into just a settling into these three words. What does it mean that we are in this family together? What does it mean that our dad is the heavenly dad? And what does it mean that he relates to us like a dad to his child? Today, what I want to do is I want to take you into my favorite passage on fatherhood. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. But before we get to Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to give you some context. Some context to this passage. First of all, you need to know a little bit about Ephesians. Ephesians was written by a man named Paul. Paul is the same guy who wrote the book of Romans, which we just quoted from. But Paul, you need to remember, he was a person who was persecuting the followers of Jesus initially. He was against Jesus, he was against Jesus' followers, and then he met Jesus in a miraculous way, and then he became a follower himself, and then he became a persecuted follower. So Paul is a guy who goes from persecutor to persecuted, and he's in this context where he's trying to help people understand why it's better to be on the persecuted side than the persecutor side. He is trying to help everybody know that Jesus has changed his life in a remarkably powerful way. So he writes a bunch of letters to a bunch of people who have started their walk with Jesus, but he wants to help them go farther. And in the book of Ephesians, what's really interesting about Ephesians is that if you were to go to the opening chapter of Ephesians, You would read it say something like, to the saints in Ephesus. There's just one problem. The earliest copies of the book of Ephesians that we have don't actually contain the words in Ephesus. It just says, to the saints. Also, at the end of the book of Colossians, Paul wrote a little bit that he said, take the letter I sent to the Laodiceans and circulate that around everybody. And so, a lot of people believe That the uh, letter that we call Ephesians was that circular letter. It was that encyclical that Paul wrote something that he intended to be spread around to all the different churches. And so he left the addressee field blank. He just said to the saints and then left a gap. And so if it was going to the church in Ephesus, they would write in Ephesus. Uh, If it was going to some other church, they might have written some other city name. But we only have copies that are either blank or have the words in Ephesus. So clearly the Ephesians really liked having it addressed to them. But anyway, the point is that Paul is writing this letter with the intent that this would be a letter that goes to lots of different churches. In other words, its core reality is to build unity. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. I've got a passage I want to read to you from that. It says about Jesus. Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We all, anyone, anyone who has heard the message of Jesus... Whether you are far from God or close to God, whether you are far from the Jewish faith or close to the Jewish faith, whether you are far from the Middle East or close to the Middle East, it doesn't matter. If you have heard the message of Jesus, then that message has been given to you to bring you near. It's been given to you to bring you near to the one Father, the Father who relates to you through His own Spirit. That's what Jesus has been all about. Or Take a look at this next one from Ephesians chapter 3. It says this, This mystery is that through the gospel, the gospel is Paul's favorite word for the message of Jesus dying on the cross because he loves you to cleanse you from your sins so that you could have a relationship with God, and then Jesus rising from the dead to prove that it's all in the past and to promise that you have a future. But the word gospel, it encompasses all that. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise. In Christ Jesus. Again, Paul is trying to say that this gospel message of Jesus is something that brings people together. This gospel message of Jesus is something that brings people together into this one family of God. Members of one body. Sharers together in this promise. Now, I'm taking you to Ephesians chapter 3 today. But what's fascinating about that is that Ephesians chapter 3 is a passage where Paul is really struggling to say what he wants to say. The reason he's struggling to say what he wants to say is that he is so passionate about one thing above all others that he keeps getting himself distracted. He is so passionate about the church of Jesus being united under the gospel. As I just showed you in Ephesians 3.6, He is so passionate about the church of Jesus being united together under the gospel, united together under one Father, that he himself, as soon as he begins to talk about it, he has to go off on a tangent. Let me show you what I mean. That was verse 6, but in verse 1, he said, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles... And then he stops. If you have your Bible open, you can see it. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, who's trying to preach Jesus to you Gentiles, I, and then he stops and he goes off on a tangent. And his tangent takes him like, I don't know, like 13 verses. And then, in verse 14, he comes back to the same idea. We're going to put that up on the screen. It'll be uh, below the screen as well if you're watching at home. But he says this, for this reason. It begins the exact same way as the chapter does. Paul says, in verse 14, he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. You see, what happened is, in verse 1, he says, for this reason, and he's about to tell them what he's praying for them about But he gets distracted by reminding them again and again that they're supposed to be unified. And then once he's done with that little tangent, he comes back and he says, for this reason, this reason that you're supposed to be unified, this reason of all that other stuff I've just been been talking about, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. If you've been in church for a while, if you've ever heard this passage before, it's probably become one of your favorite passages too. It's so beautiful that Paul would say these words the way he says them. And he says it's a prayer. He says to these people he's writing this letter to, to all these churches in all these different locations, but particularly we've received it through the Ephesian church, he says to all these churches in all these places, this is my prayer for you. And before I dig into the content of the prayer, I want to ask you a question. Do you think that God is going to answer this prayer? Do you think that here's Paul, Paul is the guy who's writing this down, Paul is the one who is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this down, we are convinced, in fact, we just read this in 2 Peter last week, where in 2 Peter, Peter said that what Paul has written is scripture, what Paul has written is inspired by God, so we are now in this place where we have to recognize this is God's Spirit prompting Paul to write these words And these words are Paul's prayer to God. So the question is, do you think God is going to answer that prayer? If God gives the words of a prayer to Paul, who prays those words, is God going to answer that prayer? My contention is that the answer to that question is definitely. Yes! Is is God going to answer Paul's prayer? Definitely, absolutely, this prayer is from God through Paul's mouth for the people who receive it. Is God going to answer this prayer? Yes. That's a no-brainer. But a better question is, will God answer this prayer for us? Will God answer this prayer for you? Will God answer this prayer for me? I think that question is a little bit more difficult to answer I would say it's a yes if. Not a yes but, but a yes if. You see, here's the thing God has given Paul the words to pray for his audience. Because God has given Paul the words to pray for his audience, I'm convinced that God is going to answer that prayer with a big, fat yes. The only question for you and for me is are we in the audience? Are we part of the audience? You see, I believe if I'm in the audience the way Paul's hearers are in the audience, then God is going to answer this prayer for me just like he will answer it for them back then. In other words, it all boils down to Am I standing in the place of the recipients of Paul's letter? Am I standing in the place of his audience back then? I'm going to give you a few ways for you and for me to together stand in the same place as Paul's audience back then. Will God answer this prayer for you and for me? It's a yes if, number one, we bear the Father's name. It's a yes if we bear the Father's name. At the very beginning of Paul's prayer, he says, I bow before the Father from whom all of his family derives its name. Let me show you what it says The way Paul said it, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, what's interesting about that is that if you look in the footnotes, you'll see it, but the word family that Paul uses here is the same as the Greek word for father. In fact, literally translated, you could probably say fatherhood. Now, in Greek, the word fatherhood and family meant the same thing. And so translating it, family, is sort of the safest way to translate it. Translating it, fatherhood, is a little bit more, you know, overt, but it carries the play on words that I think Paul is trying to do. It's basically, Paul says, "'I kneel before the Father from whom all fatherhood bears its name.'" But Paul isn't trying to say that every individual dad is representing God the way they should Paul is trying to say that every single person who's in God's family bears the name of the Father. We bear the name of the Father. I mean, you've heard me talk about this kind of thing before. I'll pray quite often. Help us to represent you well in this world, God. That we stand in God's place in this world. We are in his image. We bear his name. And Paul is just saying that here. Paul is praying for those people who bear the name of the Father. He's praying for those people who are in the family. I'll ask you this straightforwardly. Are you in the family of God? Have you received his adoption? We've been told in Scripture time and time again that those who receive Jesus are adopted into the family of God. If you haven't done that, if you haven't made that commitment to receive Christ into your life, today's the day. Just say it to him. Just say, God, I want to receive Jesus into my life. I want to be your child forevermore. And God will adopt you, and it's a permanent thing, and you're in. And then you're part of the family. But that's not the only thing Paul talks about. The second thing, how do I know this prayer is going to be answered for me? The second thing is that this prayer gets answered with a yes if we receive the Spirit's power. If we receive the Spirit's power. You see, we got some issues when it comes to God. First of all, the the bearing God's name thing is hard for us because we want to be people who bear our own labels. We invent our own labels, we put them on ourselves, and then we give labels to other people. We give everybody a label, we give ourselves a label, and the problem with all those labels, whether your labels are political or ideological or your labels are something else, every single time we adopt a label for ourselves, what we are doing is we are isolating ourselves from God's label for us, which is child. That's his label for us. He loves us like a child. We're part of his family. But then secondly, the spirit thing, our problem with the spirit thing is that we want to have our own power. We don't want to rely on God's power. We want to have our own power. God, make me rich so that I don't have to rely on you for anything. God, give me great health so that I don't have to rely on you for my sustaining power. God, give me great experiences in life so I don't have to rely on you for my joy. God, I want to rely on myself. So give me all the things that let me rely on myself, not the things that require me to rely on you but in this prayer paul says i'm kneeling to the father and i pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being i love reading that line i want to know god's power but if i'm honest with you i want to have god's power come into me so then i can pretend it's my power so that I can act like it's my power. And then I can do the things from my own power and feel really good about myself. If I'm honest, that's a lot of the way I feel. But Paul's prayer is that out of his riches, he will strengthen his people with the power of the Spirit in us. The answer to this prayer is a yes if I'm relying on the Spirit's power. But the answer to this prayer is also a yes. The next thing Paul says, if we receive the presence of Christ. Take a look at this next little phrase here. If we receive the presence of Christ, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This isn't Christ dwelling in your heart. Again, this isn't a you. This is an us, this is a we kind of thing, so that Christ may dwell among his people and in their hearts, but through faith. Here's an interesting thing. In order to be part of the family of God, I have to receive by faith the gift of Jesus. In order to have the Spirit enter into my life, I have to receive by faith the gift of Jesus. In order to have Christ in our midst, we need to receive by faith this gift of his presence in our midst. Have you ever wondered why sometimes you doubt that the Spirit is with you and why sometimes you doubt that Jesus is with you? The reason you doubt on this one issue is because you're doubting. i got to be honest with you. One of the most fascinating things to me in my entire life is the temptation that I have felt and the temptation that other people have felt to say these words in certain contexts. Maybe you've heard the words, maybe you've felt the words, maybe you've said the words in other contexts, but it's these words, usually Christians will say them about a church. They will say something like this, I just didn't feel the Spirit's presence there. I just didn't feel the Spirit's presence there. I remember I was in a church once, and everything on paper looked like it was going great with that church. But I was critical of that church, and I felt like I just didn't feel the Spirit's presence in that church. And I want to reiterate to you that the Spirit, as we are described, Him in this passage is not a spirit of feeling, this is a spirit of power and faith. And if you didn't notice it yet, you should notice that by this point in time, Paul has already mentioned the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He says, the Father's glorious riches, the Spirit's power in you, and Christ's presence among you. Listen, one of the things Christians have to do is they have to just enter into this reality by faith and say, God, I don't feel your riches, but I know you're rich. Spirit, I don't feel your presence in me, but I know you're there. Jesus, I don't feel your presence in my relationship with this other person, but they claim to love you, and so I'm going to trust that they're telling me the truth, and so I'm going to trust that your presence is in the midst of this situation, and so I'm going to be with my brothers and sisters. It's a yes if we are relying on the presence of Christ and not just the presence of some other sort of feeling. This prayer also gets answered with a yes if we live in the love of Christ. Let me take you to that next phrase here. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints, with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul talks about love an awful lot in those verses. He says, if you are rooted and established in love, then I pray that you would have power with all the other people who are rooted and established in love, so that you will be able to grasp how incredibly huge is Christ's love, even though you can't understand it because it surpasses knowledge, so that you'll be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Listen, I would love personally to be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. I would love for you and for me as a family together to be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. And this one here is the only one in this passage, is the only one in this prayer that we get a hard and fast requirement that you and I are rooted and established in love. If we are rooted and established, what does that mean? Well, think about it this way. If you are rooted in something, that means that though the wind blows you, you're not falling over. If you are established, that means even if the earth quakes, you're standing firm. If you are rooted and established in love, that means no matter what happens to you, Your relationship to that love doesn't change. No matter what happens to you, around you, on top of you, near you, it doesn't change your relationship to that love. You are rooted, you are established in love. Paul says if you are rooted and established in love, then the rest of these blessings come with it. But there's one more thing I want to highlight about that. He specifically said that this happens in power with all the saints, with all the Lord's holy people. That means you've got to be together. You can't be all alone. So that means even if we're distant from each other, you know, in physical presence, we have to somehow be connected to each other digitally and displaying love to each other that way and all that kind of stuff. But one more thing, he said, so that you could know this love that surpasses knowledge, how do you know something that surpasses knowledge? I could have made that the discussion question today. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, I know you know. I mean, you know you know. Anytime you, you know something that surpasses knowledge, someone says, how do you know? And you say, I just know. Well, How do you know? Well, I know. Well, how? Well, I can't explain it. It surpasses knowledge. So how do you know? And finally, when you get pressured enough, you finally just say, well, I've experienced it. The only way you know something that surpasses knowledge is to walk through it, is to experience it. How do you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Unless you walk it, unless you experience it. You see, Paul is praying an amazing prayer a prayer that includes us being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, a prayer that includes us experiencing the presence of Christ, a prayer that includes us experiencing the power of the Spirit, a prayer that includes us experiencing love beyond imagination, a prayer that does all these things and we can't possibly imagine the reality of this prayer being coming to life in our lives. But the truth of the matter is God gave Paul this prayer, so the answer to this prayer is a definite yes, and the only question remaining is whether or not I'm standing in the midst of the audience that receives this blessing. And to be in the midst of the audience means to be I'm in the family. It means to be I'm relying on the Spirit. It means I'm, I'm in the presence of Christ. It means I am walking in love. I'm rooted in it. I'm established in it, and I'm walking in it. But there's one more. It's a yes if we give God all the glory. I said this before, my temptation is to try to get more of God into me so that I can pretend it's me. My temptation is to get more experience of God into my life so I can pretend I'm really that good. My temptation is to say, God, would you strengthen me so that I can be strong instead of God, would you be strong so that people see how strong you are? Look at how this passage ends. Paul says now, verse 20, to him who is able to do immeasurably more, Than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen, he says. Listen, whatever we are, whatever we are is all because of him. And the better we get, the more glory he should receive. The more love we experience the more glory he should receive. The more aware of his power we are, the more glory he should receive. So will God answer this prayer? You better be sure he will. He's the one who gets all the glory in the end. He's excited about giving you so much power that he gets glory. He is excited about giving you so much love that he gets glory. He is excited about giving you his presence so that he gets glory. He is excited about bringing you into his family so that he gets glory. God wants to answer this prayer with a huge yes. The only question is whether or not you and I are standing in the place to receive it. Whether or not you and I are in the audience whether or not you you and I are the recipients. And so I'll summarize it this way. God's power is always given to those who are rooted in his love. I invite you to deeply enter into this over the next few weeks. Once again, our church is facing the difficulty of saying goodbye to people that we love. Once again, We are all facing the difficulty of uncertainty. What does the world hold for us? What does the future hold for us? Once again, I myself am tempted to sort of back off of relationships because they're too difficult, painful, complicated. Once again, you might be feeling the same thing. But once again, we need to realize that those who are rooted and established in love are the ones who experience God's power. Whether that's love for your neighbor, whether that's love for someone else in this church family, whether that's love for someone you've never met, but they're on the internet, whether that's love for someone you don't like, but they're out there in the world, those who are rooted and established in love will experience God's power. So, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop loving no matter what you do. I'm not going to stop loving no matter what I do. I'm not going to stop loving no matter what this world does. I'm not going to stop loving no matter what happens to me, around me. I'm not going to stop loving. I'm not going to stop doing any of the things that God would say, this is the core of walking in the relationship that I have designed you for. And no matter how dark things get, no matter how scary they seem, I am so glad that I can say I will be okay together with all of you because I know our Heavenly Dad is still telling the story, and it's just not done yet. Listen, I'm going to take a few moments to join you in a Zoom call after this. I'd encourage you to jump on that Zoom call with me and to just share a little bit of what's going on in your life for us to reconnect a little bit. We're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer for each other. Not a ton of time. And then after that, at around 11.45, our Kidopolis lesson is going to go live on YouTube. I encourage you to jump over there and watch it and uh, share it with your family and your friends. But right now, I want to pray for you. And I want to remind you that no matter how dark this world is, no matter how difficult circumstances seem, we're going to be okay if we're in it together. Because our heavenly dad is still telling the story and it's just not over yet. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.